podcast for Bright Sunday, April 3rd, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. So it was over a decade or so ago that I was having lunch with a United Methodist colleague of mine uh, while we were both serving churches in the greater Honolulu area. And Holy Week had just finished. It was right about this exact time. And we were kind of checking in with each other. How did your Easter services go, your Holy Week services? How was it? And everything was great. And we were sharing stories about just the amazing experiences we had. And then my friend said that he is gearing up for Bright Sunday. And I said, uh, what's Bright Sunday? And he explained to me that it's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church and how a friend of his, an Episcopal priest in California, had adopted Bright Sunday as part of his church's uh, yearly calendar. Bright Sunday is a Sunday for laughter, he said. Its theological origins lie in the fact that Easter is the ultimate joke on Satan and evil. Evil and sin thought that they had had the final say when Jesus was crucified, that death had won. But three days later, surprise, Jesus was alive. Uh, He conquered death and the grave. In fact, this Reverend Fun cartoon sums it up. The demons are all partying down in hell when suddenly on the grave cam, a stone is being rolled away. Time to stop the party, right? Plus, there's the uh, indisputable fact that the Sunday after Easter is the least attended Sunday in the entire uh, year across the board in churches. So those of you that made it here today, it's sort of like a a reward for coming back after having so much, expense, so much energy. Uh, And it's going to be very different, probably very different from even how Pastor Jim Powell uh, had done the service. I think he called it the service of uh, holy laughter, holy humor, something like that. Well, instead of preaching a regular message, I'm going to spend the entire message time sharing with you the gift of humor. Uh, I've put together a collection of stories, jokes, writings, and video clips that I find funny. I cannot guarantee that you'll find all of it funny, but hopefully there'll be one thing that you laugh at over the course of this time. Garrison Keillor is an American author, storyteller, humorist, and radio personality. And a while back, he wrote a piece called... The Young Lutheran's Guide to the Orchestra. Being Lutheran himself, Keeler uh, waxed poetic about how a young Lutheran Christian might go about choosing which musical instruments he or she might start playing. And I know you're a very music-savvy congregation, so I thought I would share excerpts from this wonderful essay. He writes, To each person, God gives some talent, such as writing, just to name one, and And to many persons, he has given musical talent, though not as many as think so. Uh, For the young Lutheran, the question must be, do I have a genuine God-given musical talent, or do I only seem gifted in comparison to other young Lutherans? If your talent is choir or organ, there is no problem. Choir members and organists can be sure their gift is from God because only God would be interested in those things. Just like nobody gets fat on celery, nobody goes into church music for the wrong motives. But for Lutherans who feel led to play in an orchestra, the first question must be, are you kidding? An orchestra? In the Bible, we read about people singing and playing musical instruments, the harp, 
the trumpet, the psaltery, but always in praise of the Lord, not for amusement. We do not read that our Lord himself ever played an instrument or even enjoyed hearing others playing theirs. The apostles did not attend concerts or go to dances. Are you sure this is what you want? But if you're determined to play in an orchestra, then you ought to ask yourself, which instrument is the best one for a Lutheran to play? If our Lord had played an instrument, which one would he have chosen? Probably not a French horn. It takes too much time in a person's life. French horn players hardly have time to marry and have children. In fact, the French horn is practically a religion all by itself. (laughs) Should a Lutheran play the bassoon? Not if you want to be taken seriously. I mean, the name says it all, bassoon. Maybe you do it for a hobby like, hey, let's go bassooning this weekend, honey. But not as your life occupation. The oboe is the sensualist of the woodwind section. If there's one wind a Lutheran should avoid, it is this one. In movie soundtracks, you tend to hear the oboe when the woman is about to take her clothes off. The flute is the big shot of the wind section. Jean-Pierre Rampal, James Galloway, both millionaires. I mean, how many millionaire bassoonists do you know, right? Because everyone knows the flute is the hardest to play. To spend your life blowing across a tiny hole, it's not really normal, is it? The flute is a temptation to pride. Avoid it. We come now to the strings section. Strings are mentioned in Scripture, and therefore some Lutherans are tempted to become string players. But be careful. The cello. The section cello seems so normal. Cellists seem like such nice people. The way they put their arms around their instruments. They look like parents zipping up a child's snowsuit. They seem like us, comfortable, middle range. And yet there's something too comfortable, too sensual about the cello. The way they hold the instrument between their legs. Why can't they hold it across their laps or or alongside themselves? The violin is a problem for any Christian because it is a solo instrument, a virtuoso instrument. And we are not solo people. We believe in taking a back seat and being helpful. So Christians should think about being second violinists. They're steady, humble, supportive. But who do they support? The first violinist. Do you really want to get involved with them? The first violinists are natural egoists. I mean, if the conductor drops dead, the rest of the orchestra would simply follow the concert master, who was the first violinist, and the violin section. And the whole maestro's body would be carried away. Nobody would know the difference. Is this a place for a Lutheran to be? In the biggest collection of gold-plated narcissists ever gathered on one stage? I think not. Let's be clear about the brass section. First of all, the rest of the orchestra wishes that the brass section were playing in another room. In fact, so does the conductor. The brass section is made up of men who at one time were in the construction trades, and they went into music because the hours were better. The tuba player, for example, is a stocky, bearded guy who has a day job as a plumber. He's the only member of the orchestra who bowls and goes deer hunting. The trombonist is a humorist. He carries a water spray gun to keep his slide moist, but often uses it against other members in the orchestra. 
The trumpet is the brass instrument you might imagine playing as a Christian, thinking of Gideon and the Psalms. But then you meet a real-life trumpet player, and you realize how, materi- how militaristic these people are. They don't wear black tie and play Bach. No, they want tight uniforms with shiny buttons, and they want to play as loud as they possibly can. There are two places in the orchestra for a young Lutheran, and one is percussion. It's the most Lutheran instrument there is. Percussionists are endlessly patient because they don't get to play much. A percussionist may have to wait 20 minutes just to play a few beats, but those beats have to be exact, and they have to be passionate and climactic. All that the epistles of Paul say a Christian should be faithful, waiting, trusting, filled with fervor. These are the qualities of a percussionist. The other Lutheran instrument, of course, is the harp. It's the perfect instrument for a Christian because it keeps you humble. You can't gallivant around with a harp. Having a harp is like living with an elderly parent in poor health. It's hard to get them in and out of cars, and it's impossible to satisfy them. A harp takes 14 hours to tune, and it stays in tune for like 20 minutes or until someone opens a door. It's the instrument of a saint. If a harpist could find a good percussionist, they wouldn't need an orchestra at all. They could settle down and make wonderful music, just the two of them. In 2000, uh, the movie Meet the Parents uh, was heralded as one of the funniest comedies of the year. It's the story of uh, male nurse Greg Fokker, played by Ben Stiller, who happens to be Jewish. Greg has fallen madly in love with Pam, who happens to be a Christian, and he wants to ask for her hand in marriage, but he learns that she has a very strict father, played by Robert De Niro, and he expects to be asked first for his daughter's hand in marriage before she can accept. So Pam invites Greg uh, home with her one weekend to meet the parents. In this scene, the four of them are seated around their dinner table about to eat. Greg is asked to offer the blessing. I'm sure many of us can relate to the awkwardness of being forced to pray on the spot. Well, let's watch Greg as he prays. Get your hot buns, hot patooties. Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something, it's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers of Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like a family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 no. No, I'd love to. Pam, come on. It's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace in many a dinner table. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the... Smorgasbord, you have so aptly lain at our 
table this day and each day by day. Day by day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. (laughs) Oh, my. Speaking of unique prayers, when I was a seminary student in New Jersey, um, many of my colleagues were already pastors uh, that hadn't gone through their theological education yet, and they invited us to their churches from time to time. One such invitation came from my friend, the Reverend Johnny McCann. He was the pastor of a small black Baptist church in, in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, New York. And on this particular Sunday, my good friend Jim Finnamore and both of our spouses had been invited to worship with Johnny. Very small church, maybe 30 people in the sanctuary. Uh, And at the close of the service, when it was time for the benediction, Johnny called my friend Jim to give the closing prayer. Now, he had given him no advance warning. In fact, he had asked me to do the scripture reading earlier in the service with no advance warning. Luckily, I had my Bible with me. And as I'm walking up, I whispered to him, what's the passage? And he says, whatever you want. And suddenly, I couldn't remember a single Bible verse in the entire Bible, right? I was trying, what did we learn in school this week? Anyway, I, I kind of got through that. So it's the end of the service. I'm going to have my, my friend, Brother Jim Fenimore, come up and, and give the benediction. And so it was a small enough church that we were all gathered around um, holding hands. Now, most United Methodists are known for short and sweet benedictions. But, but Johnny didn't ask Jim to give one of those. He asked Jim to pray. And I could sense Jim's uncomfortableness right from the outset, but he turned the benediction into a prayer. And after about 20 seconds or so, I knew that Jim was just about done. He was getting ready to do the the standard, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. But before he could get those words out, Reverend McCann shouted, pray on, brother, pray on. (laughs) And just like what we just saw in Meet the Parents, he was silent for what seemed like an eternity. And then, I I kid you not, these are exact words. Oh, God. Oh, God. We don't know what to say to you, Lord, right? I'm laughing because I know he's got nothing else. He's just trying to stretch this out. And and before I started laughing, another woman said, That's right, Jesus, we don't know what to say to you. We don't know what to say. I was dying. He fumbled through a few other things and then said, in Jesus' name, amen. And I will never forget that prayer as long as I live. To close out the section on praying, uh, I have a hard-hitting investigative video about how man's best friend has been taught to pray. Let's watch. For those listening at home, I'm going to direct you to YouTube and uh, search for Dogs Praying Before They Eat by Theo Freddy. It's very, very funny, but it's also very visually oriented, and you'll miss a lot just listening to the audio track. So uh, that's what we watched. Now back to the sermon.
Alice Grayson was supposed to bake a cake for the Presbyterian uh, Church Ladies Group Bake Sale in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but she forgot to do it until the very last minute. She remembered it the morning of the bake sale, and after rummaging through the cabinets, she found a box of angel food cake mix and quickly made it while she was also trying to dry her hair and to dress and to get her son Brian uh, packed up for scout camp. When Alice took the cake from the oven, however, the cinder had dropped flat and the cake was horribly disfigured. She knew there was no time left to bake another cake. Now, you need to understand how important this cake was to Alice. She had recently moved into the community and she wanted to, she wanted to fit in at her new church and in her new circle of new friends. Alice was a very inventive woman and she looked around the house to, for something to help build up the center of this cake and you'll never guess what she ended up using. A roll of toilet paper. She plunked it right in the center of the cake, covered it with two generous layers of icing. Not only did the finished product look beautiful, it looked perfect. Now, I know what you're thinking, but let me assure you, Alice had a plan. Before she left to drop the cake by the church and head for work, Alice woke her daughter Amanda and gave her money. And she told her in no uncertain terms that she was to be at the bake sale the minute that the bake sale began at 9.30 and to buy this cake back. No questions asked. You must come home with this cake. The only problem was when Amanda arrived at the scale, right at 9.30, she found that the attractive and the perfect-looking cake had somehow been bought prior to the start of the sale. She grabbed her cell phone. She gave the unfortunate news to her mother. Needless to say, Alice was horrified. So much for making a good impression. Now everyone would know she'd be ostracized and talked about and ridiculed. And all that night, she'd just lay awake in bed thinking about people pointing their fingers at her and talking about her behind her back, how she had ruined the church's bake sale. The next day, Alice tried not to think about the cake, but instead focus on the fancy luncheon and bridal shower at the home of a friend of a friend and to try to have a good time. Alice didn't really want to attend because the hostess was a woman who had always treated her poorly because, well, probably because Alice was a single parent and not from the founding families of Tuscaloosa. But Alice had already RSVP'd and she couldn't think of a legitimate enough excuse to get out of this event. The meal was elegant. The company was definitely upper crust old south and everything was going well until to Alice's horror, the cake she had baked for the church sale came out and was set in the middle of the, the dinner table for dessert. Oh, as soon as she saw it, she felt all of the blood drain from her body and she started to get up out of her chair to tell the hostess the truth about the cake. But before she could get to her feet, the mayor's wife said, oh, what a beautiful cake, to which the hostess said, thank you, I baked it myself. <laughs> Stunned, Alice sat back into her chair and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> ReverendFun.com was a website that posted Christian-themed one-panel comics for over a decade. And in the many years I've been observing Bright Sunday, I've found countless favorites, like this one. Jesus blows some minds on what I want to be when I grow up day. Like, 
dead and alive, Savior of the world? All right, well, maybe the next one will get you. The Bible tells us that God knows the numbers of hairs on our heads, so as a bare-chested man with tremendous back hair brushes his teeth, the one angel says to the other, we only have to count the head hairs, right? <laughs> Ever wonder what kind of April Fool's jokes they play in hell? How about putting a save me sign on the back of Satan? <laughs> Those demons can be so mean, can't they? And finally, after seeing Jesus feed the 5,000, the young boy comes back and says, Whoa, look at this, Jesus. In addition to my loaves and fishes, it seems I had a bunch of gold. What should we do with it, do you think? If he can multiply the bread and the... All right, moving on. Like I said, you may not laugh at everything. I love how our church uh, runs a preschool and daycare and after-school program. Not only are we helping shape the lives of young people, but we are learning from them. And a survey was taken many years back, not from our preschool, but uh, amongst four- to eight-year-old children. The question posed was a simple one. What does love mean? Here are some of their responses. Carl, age five, says, Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Chrissy, age six, said, Love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Danny, age eight, said, Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it's okay. Noel, age seven, said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day after that. (laughs) Tommy, age six, said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Marianne, age four, said, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day long. Yeah. Lauren, age four, said, I know my sister loves me because she gives me all of her old clothes and then has to go out and buy new ones. Her favorites. Bobby, age seven, says, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening the presents and just listen. Mm. And finally, Jessica, age eight, said, you, should, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. Yeah. Well, if you're ever in need of a few laughs, turn on Family Feud. It's on the Game Show Network. It is hilarious. Comedian Steve Harvey has been the host since 2010. And I'd like to show you a clip from a few years back. It's concerning the topic, something that gets passed around. Let's watch. All right, guys, here we go. We got the top six answers on the board. Name something that gets passed around. Chris. A joint. A joint. know what hundred people you thought we were talking to at some nice little mall across good old America 
But I'm pretty sure the people didn't tell the survey people, hey, an illegal drug. <laughs> Let's turn around and see how many weed heads are out there with Chris. A joint! <laughs> This is when you know we're going to hell. <laughs> okay, Tracy, only four answers topic, so. The collection played at church. <laughs> now, she's got the halo, and I got the horns. <laughs> I like, I like the way you tried to stop us from going to hell. You, mister, you evil boy, passing, passing around the little thing with this funny smell. Looking for some saving here. Church place. It's, it's less than the joint. This is not good. I'm just going to do... You just go over there. They're going to play this. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, this single-pane comic has Jesus sitting amongst a group of children and says, so I was like, I'm the son of God, and they were like, no way, and I was like, Yahweh. A walrus pastor looks out over his walrus congregation and said, After last week's incident, I've decided we will no longer bow our heads to pray. <laughs> Love all the bandages on their chest, right? The sidebar on this next cartoon says, Drought-ridden California needs a savior. So Jesus stands before a Napa winery and exclaims, Governor Brown has sent me to change your wine into water. This last single panel comic, panel comic reads, After the three wise men left, the three wiser women arrived. <laughs> Whoop. It's gone. I didn't put it in there. Uh, they, were bringing, they, they were bringing fresh diapers, casseroles for a week, and lots of formula. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and so finally, friends, it wouldn't be Bright Sunday without a video clip from one of my favorite Christian comedians, Tim Hawkins. I've watched many of his videos, and Jody and I have sent both Ezra and Emily to watch their, his concerts live when they're, while they've been in, co uh, in college, both in, in Chicago and in, in Dallas. And here's a funny clip about uh, how Tim goes to a hand-raising church. Let's watch. Right on, man. Well, so, you know, what blesses me is that there's so many different people from different uh, denominations here tonight, and, um, and I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, 
feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. We've got a lot of different hand raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, a little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar and go out there, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. You're set. You're a pro. So there you have it, friends. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, including a time to weep and a time to laugh. May the power of the risen Christ fill your lives with joy and sunshine, and may you come to know each and every day that laughter is a gift from God, a gift that enables us to face the future unafraid. Death ultimately has been defeated. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And all God's people said... Amen.